Reopening uncertainty. Right now, it's a coin flip. With restrictions set to expire, businesses starving for answers about what happens next. Two, three, all done. The plan to vaccinate children. Suffice to say, this is an exciting moment. How soon 12 to 17-year-olds could get the shot. And a real-life nomad land. I don't ask for any money from welfare. I don't ask for any money from the government. How Vancouver is trying to clear the city's RV row with residents saying they have nowhere else to go you're watching global bc this is global news hour at six good evening and thanks for joining us and we begin with breaking details about the next big step in bc's fight against covid19 health minister adrian dix today announcing children aged 12 to 17 can now register for the vaccine keith baldry is live in victoria with the details keith yeah, Sophie, this is a pretty group, a big group of people, about 300,000 kids aged 12 to 17, uh, who weren't even part of the immunization program just a few weeks ago. Now they're very much part of it, and starting today, they can go online or uh, do that uh, phone call and access uh, and register and get their booking appointment very quickly. Adrian Dix, the health minister, making that announcement today. Our teams have been working on the system, testing the system. We opened up the system uh, yesterday evening. Um, to make sure and to test it and uh, people, uh, a few people, a small number of people I think have already uh, registered and booked their appointments uh, 12 to 17 and uh, now letting everyone know that everyone will be able to do that and that the details around the program will be uh, provided uh, in greater detail tomorrow. Relief for a lot of parents out there. Uh, Keith, the more people we have vaccinated, of course, the closer we get to reopening. Mm-hmm. So what does the data tell us about the possibility we might be able to drop some restrictions? Yeah, a lot of information out today. So vaccina- or rising vaccination rate is just one factor that public health officials use to determine whether or not we're going to reopen and how quickly we're going to do that. Other indicators are used as well, and they're all looking good, folks. Take a look at this. Our daily case numbers now are down, our weekly case numbers are down 50% from the peak in early April. Hospitalizations also plummeting. It was 30% fewer weekly hospitalizations than our peak in early April. ICU admissions are down 40% in the same time frame. The all important positivity testing rate now down to 6.7%. That's a drop of four points in just a few weeks. And that's uh, below 10 in all health authorities. And the R number, this is the reproductive number, which has to be below one because that's anything over one means uh, exponential growth. It's now below one in all the health authorities. You put all this together, it's very clear. It's been, the groundwork is laid here uh, for some sort of reopening next week. Don't be surprised if in-person re- restaurant uh, dining returns, perhaps an end to those highway checkpoints. We're not going to reopen totally. We're not going to have big gatherings of people in large crowds indoors or outdoors. But things are going to loosen up next week as these numbers continue to be encouraging. One final number I'll throw at you. Just learned a few moments ago, BC got 88,900 AstraZeneca doses today. So that will all be used for second dose purposes. Uh, only 274,000 people had the first dose. So if we get a couple more batches there, everybody with AstraZeneca will be, have access to that second dose relatively mm-hmm. quickly. All right. Nice to hear some good news. Thanks, Keith. Well, Premier John Horgan has promised the details of the province's reopening plan to be made public sometime next week. But Richard Zussman explains why restaurants and other businesses in the hospitality industry are calling for at least the broad outline to be released much sooner. These are from a Michelin-star restaurant in Galicia. Como Taparia's Sean Layden is getting his prep work done. The problem is he doesn't know what he's prepping for. 
Uh, right now, it's, it's a coin flip. Um, we are not sure. We wish we would have been told like earlier this week. One side of the coin is the province announcing restaurants can reopen for in-person dining next week. The other side remain closed. The orders banning interprovincial travel and in-person dining expire early next week, and there's still no indication of what will happen. It makes scheduling really difficult, and a lot of these people need to work, and we need to prep food, we need to order food, our suppliers are wondering what's going on. It's just not the restaurant sector looking for the province's second act. The circuit breaker and other restrictions have been a total blackout for the province's arts and culture sector. It was hard last November to find out that we weren't allowed to have audiences come in anymore while restaurants were still open to indoor dining. The pandemic has led to Vancouver's Art Club cancelling 24 productions and losing $13 million in revenues. They are hoping to run some smaller shows this summer and a major Christmas show here in the Stanley, but can't plan anything until the province unveils a reopening plan next week. As we're looking at Broadway, who's saying that they're opening in September. Uh, England, the UK, opened their theatres today. And so that's, uh, we're looking to them and we're looking to public health to help create these plans moving forward. The Arts Club have lost 400 staff and restarting means hiring, acquiring rights to shows and preparing. The province's response, hang tight for now, nothing is changing until next week. Back at Como Taparia, the reliance for now is on patio service, but that's not sustainable. So as the work continues, so does the stress of not knowing what comes next. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. COVID-19 has claimed more lives in B.C., including someone in their 40s. Here are today's numbers. We have 521 new cases, bringing B.C.'s total to 140,596, with 4,815 of those cases active. Hospital numbers are lower today, 340 patients, 118 of them in ICU. Sadly, eight more people have died, including, as we mentioned, a person in their 40s. Health officials say we need about three-quarters of the population to be vaccinated to see life return to somewhat normal. The truth is we still have a long way to go. More and more people are getting their shots, but as Aaron MacArthur shows us, some parts of the province are lagging far behind. Scientists have tried TikTok. Politicians have tried pleading with the public. Doctors have tried reassuring people about their concerns, yet vaccine hesitancy remains an issue in B.C. The uptake for the COVID vaccine so far is strong province-wide. 59% of British Columbians have been inoculated, but not everywhere. There are pockets of population where the numbers are much lower. UBC and Fort St. John, barely above 30%. Some of the low numbers are based on demographics, though. So for example, the University of British Columbia, by definition, is a very young community. In Surrey, some postal codes were seeing some of the lowest uptake anywhere in the province. But that is starting to turn around. Doctors say it's been a constant effort to answer people's questions. Pop-up clinics like the one at Bear Creek Park this week have helped. So have outreach efforts in places of worship. 
surprisingly, what we have found effective since we started this in November is just repeat messaging. You just have to keep on repeating the same message. When vaccine supply was an issue, people could justify waiting or delaying or not wanting to jump the queue. But the middle of May sees a vastly different landscape. Plenty of doses. The question is whether there will be enough willing arms. Data from around the world is consistent. The younger the demographic, the fewer people that get vaccinated. In Canada, according to polling firm Insights West, as many as 23% of people are apt to believe the misinformation. No, when I think about my mom, for example, took the AstraZeneca vaccine after my recommendation um, and the recommendation of my sister, who's a family physician. Um, but that was, that was a tough conversation. The Public Health Agency of Canada says 75% is the target for reopening the border and restarting many of the activities that have been put on pause for so long. In B.C., that figure seems achievable, but is still a long way off. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vancouver Council considers a motion that removes any opportunity for public feedback on co-op or supportive housing projects. Developments up to 12 stories would skip public hearing and rezoning requirements and could essentially be built anywhere with no questions. Supporters and opponents next on the News Hour. Troubling signs in the B.C. LNG industry. Another major player wants out of a development that's supposed to be a big moneymaker for B.C. That's coming up on the News Hour. And a woman in search of a pet has a warning about creative thieves and the gift card scam she almost fell for later. Right now, though, Vancouver Council is considering a controversial proposal that, if approved, would see more social housing built in the city without hearing from the public. Jordan Armstrong has more on how one councillor wants to green light taller nonprofit projects and why critics say not so fast. Last month, Vancouver Council decided that going forward, six story social housing projects in zoning districts highlighted here can be approved without a time consuming and expensive public hearing. Now, just weeks later, one councillor says double it. Up to 12 stories for nonprofit housing, no public hearing. I'm proposing that we make it uh, easier to build uh, a height that makes sense for each project, up to 12 stories. Her idea to limit feedback is generating huge feedback, with more than 130 speakers signed up to address council. Among them, Larry Benj, who's concerned about dem evictions and land speculation. When you put a 12-story building into an area of, you know, two, three, and four stories, uh, it's going to make a difference. But Boyle doubts this would lead to a big increase in big buildings. They can't be a private developer. Uh, it, it can't be earning anyone any profit. The whole building is nonprofit or co-op. I mean, you want to be careful that in the desire to speed things up, you don't screw it up. The director of SFU's city program says Boyle's motion is ambiguous and leaves several key questions unanswered, like why 12 stories? And would a building still be considered social housing if only 30% of its units 
were subsidized. There is this concern about a kind of approach of spray and pray density in the, in the city of Vancouver. Will, will this density really only result in studios and one bedrooms as opposed to the kind of units and the kind of the types of units that are going to support and allow for families to flourish in the city of Vancouver? We often hear about Vancouver's housing crisis, but Yan says there's also a crisis of public trust or lack thereof in decisions made here. And City Hall should be careful it doesn't worsen the latter in trying to solve the former. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And on the topic of housing, you see them throughout parts of Metro Vancouver, people living not in homeless camps, but in RVs parked on city streets. After letting the issue slide for much of the pandemic, the city of Vancouver is now cracking down. And Amadagahi has more on the people who find themselves living in their own version of nomad land. This is retirement. After a 35-year career in a sawmill. It is a viable lifestyle, um, except for, you know, getting your ass booted around. See if there's any mice uh, nesting in there. I wouldn't have anything in the bank if I was uh, paying rent. When you ask the people sleeping in RVs on city streets in Vancouver, they're likely to have a similar story. My wife passed away and I couldn't afford to stay where I was anymore, but I couldn't afford to move anywhere else. It makes you want to just disappear. You know, wish you weren't around anywhere. You know, it's, it's very hard. While some are clearly worse for wear, these large vehicles are home for roughly two dozen people parked on Slocan Street in East Vancouver. But after many months of being here, they've now become a problem in the eyes of City Hall. Our challenge is when multiple vehicles gather together and when we are seeing debris left on the street, when we are seeing uh, human feces that we have to deal with. The city has given the campers notice that by next Wednesday, it plans to enforce illegal parking bylaws. The city must stop criminalizing people whose homes are their vehicles. And this would just mitigate the worst aspects of the housing crisis, which is the broader context in which people are living in RVs on public streets. When people come by and they look at us, they look at us the same way. And they look at us like every one of us is a drug addict and, a, and some kind of loser from society. And we deserve to suffer. I don't think we're all like that. With one week to decide, the campers are facing an ultimatum. Those who are not actively working with outreach or have found uh, another place to go, we will be looking at ticketing and towing, unfortunately. Could you tow them, though, if they're in the vehicle and they're they're living in the vehicle with them inside the vehicle? Is that feasible? Uh, We do not tow vehicles with people inside them. So if they stay in their vehicle, they can stay? I guess that is a, a, a potential option. Um, if people choose to, to do that. Meanwhile, instead of packing up, many campers are planning a rally to hold their ground. Amadagahi, Global News. Vernon RCMP say a two-year-old has died after falling from a third-story window over the weekend. It happened Saturday night at around 7 p.m. at a home near 30th Avenue and 29th Street in Vernon. The toddler fell from the residential building and was rushed to hospital where they died. RCMP say the parents were home at the time and no criminality is suspected. Police are continuing their investigation in conjunction with the B.C. Coroner Service. Still to come, the troubling consequence of rising lumber prices. More construction sites are putting in lots more security. Thieves stealing thousands of dollars in building materials when they're most likely to hit. 
Also tonight, pilots helping spirits soar during the pandemic. Vancouver police are investigating a rash of break-ins at building sites in high-end neighborhoods. John Waugh has more on what's believed to be fueling the construction crime spree and why it's forcing a lumber lockdown on some development sites. Be on the lookout. Lock up the construction site. Criminals have taken a liking to your lumber. The new gold rush, I guess, is what we can call it. Except you're not mining, you're stealing. That's right, soaring lumber prices, which have nearly doubled since the beginning of the year, have made any unguarded pallet of plywood or stack of 4x4s ripe for the picking. In one case, thieves got away with more than $10,000 in plywood. Vancouver police say the rash of wood thefts have so far occurred on the city's west side. Based on the amount of material that has been stolen, it's quite likely that whoever is doing this is more than one person. They're probably using a uh, large truck or a moving van. With the high cost of lumber already cutting into their bottom line, the possibility of losing this valued commodity has left those in construction deeply concerned. I heard that many places already happen like that. We have a very worry about that, of course. Maybe we arrange the cameras like these things, right? It's very crazy price this moment. Cameras and other anti-theft measures, not a bad idea, according to police. Some are already stashing their lumber out of easy reach or securing it behind a fence. Others adding wood to their neighborhood watch. I've got a, a truck that I park here to protect uh, the lumber, sort of put it in a spot where if uh, somebody were to try and take it, they'd have a harder time because my truck's in their way. Once again, it's proof it can be pretty much anything that sells for a high price. And right now, it's piles of lumber. If they're not tied down or locked up, criminals are happy to take a piece of the action. John Hua, Global News. Gift cards are the payment of choice for many fraudsters. According to the Better Business Bureau, gift card scams are a multi-billion dollar industry growing close to 10% annually. Now, these scams, as we know, are not new, but they are becoming more sophisticated. Let's bring in our Consumer Matters reporter, Ann Drua. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. The Better Business Bureau estimates in the last few years the losses related to the gift card scam have been in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Traditionally, this type of fraud has targeted many seniors, but it turns out more and more younger consumers are falling victim. Like many during the pandemic, Archie Nativa Dad was looking for companionship. Everybody's feeling a little bit lonely. They want some company. And this little Bichon Freeze seemed like the perfect match. The 30-year-old found the puppy online after an exhaustive seven-month search. She ended up paying a $500 delivery fee via e-transfer to have her furry companion transported from Newfoundland to B.C. The fact that I was going to get a tracking information um, made me think that uh, whatever um, shipping agency or pet transport I was going to be paired up with was legitimate. But shortly after, Archie received another email informing her she would have to rent a special anti-pressure dog crate for over $800 to transport her pup. They specifically told me to go to Shoppers Drug Mart and um, purchase a bunch of Google Play gift cards and I've heard of these like gift card horror stories before and I figured, oh no, like this is, this is a scam. 
Archie isn't alone. While the gift card scam isn't new, it continues to grow at a rapid pace. Since 2017, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre has seen gift card payment scam complaints double, with reported losses of over $3.2 million in 2020. When it comes to the scammers and who they are and where they are, our investigations show that they're literally all across the world. The Better Business Bureau says eBay, Google Play, iTunes and Amazon are the popular gift cards of choice for fraudsters. They act like digital cash and once exchanged, you'll likely never see your money again. So if it's an Amazon gift card, they'll go on Amazon and make a purchase there. If the gift card allows them to make a withdrawal at an ATM, they'll withdraw the money and just walk away, cash in hand. And there are also instances where they'll use it to get cryptocurrency. And more and more fraudsters are turning to Steam cards used for online gaming, popular with younger consumers. It's very attractive to young consumers and it's also a reason why many of them are also falling victim to these kinds of scams. Fortunately for Archie, she recognized the gift card scam before handing over more money to the con artist. While she's out $500 for the bogus delivery fee, she hopes her story serves as a reminder to be extra vigilant. For the young people not to be impulsive (laughs) and not to be so quick um, to uh, release any, you know, type of money. And also keep in mind, providing the numbers from the back of a gift card is just like sending cash. Whether victims give the numbers over the phone or text a photo on the back of the card, they are essentially giving their money to scammers. Remember, gift cards are not meant for payments and no legitimate business or organization will request them. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. An upcoming liftoff hopes to lift spirits during the COVID-19 pandemic. A Kelowna pilot has organized an event for this coming weekend that he hopes will have a lot of people looking up. You know, with COVID and all the new restrictions and everything, you know, families, people can't really go out and do much. Um, It's really, really difficult times here again. You know, people have been uh, pretty sad down in the dumps, that kind of a thing. Trevor Jones is getting himself and his plane ready for the event this coming Sunday. Called Spirit Flight, it'll bring together close to 20 pilots and their aircraft for a big flyover in the central Okanagan. Jones organized a similar type of flyover at this time last year to honor a snowbird's captain tragically killed in Kamloops just over a year ago. Jones says there will be many vantage points this weekend to see the planes in action. I think the best place for people to go would be downtown waterfront, uh, anywhere from Mission to Knox Mountain. Uh, you know, we, 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 our plan is, have been all over the place um, and we've been trying to figure out logistics for safety and everything. Um, and we just find that, you know, I think uh, it, it's, it's better off for people that are in the Mission and, and downtown Kelowna and even west side waterfront, you'll be able to see us clearly for sure. The flyover will start around noon on Sunday, weather permitting. It'll involve all kinds of aircraft, including helicopters, float planes, and according to Jones, and I think his hat was probably a clue, the world's fastest single-engine, non-military, high-performance aircraft. Still ahead, signs of trouble in BC's LNG industry. There aren't many active players left on the development side. The factors that could change fortunes for those waiting on a windfall. 
And how pregnant and breastfeeding women can help fill a major gap in vaccine data. Good evening. Crews are still on scene to this earlier structure fire in Coquitlam and southbound Burnett remains blocked at Blue Mountain. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hype of a structure fire in Coquitlam. BC Ferries is set to welcome another hybrid electric vessel to its fleet. The third island-class ferry hit the water today at the shipyards in Romania, where it was built. It'll make the transatlantic voyage under its own power, arriving in Victoria in about 60 days. The yet-to-be-named vessel can carry 47 vehicles and up to 400 passengers and crew. It'll be rotated into service on the Campbell River Quadra Island route in 2022. Liquefied natural gas has been billed as a major boost for the province's economy, but it now appears one of BC's three LNG mega projects is in trouble. The two international investors in the Kitimat LNG project are bailing, citing huge losses. And as Ted Chernecki reports, one of the reasons is a greening economy. With coastal gas links, 670-kilometer, $6.6 billion pipeline already well under construction, it's hard to imagine this could be little more than a pipe dream. And it won't, because too much has been invested already. Still, big players are leaving B.C. Woodside has decided to make investments in Senegal and Australia, so it's not as if they're leaving the business. And they've also kept their... uh, Liard, and that's in northeast British Columbia, their Liard gas field interests as well. So they have uh, reserves for, uh, for the future as well. There really is just one player left in Kitimat, a consortium of five global energy companies led by Shell. It continues to build its $18 billion LNG export terminal. And later this year, large modules being built in China will start arriving to be assembled here. And the plan is still to start exporting LNG in about four years. But getting buyers to commit to lengthy contracts, that's getting harder. One of the reasons they don't want to commit to long-term contracts is because the price of renewable-generated electricity, such as wind and solar, has dropped 80 to 90 percent over the last 10 years or so. The other thing that's happening is the price of batteries is starting to decline. Those batteries are a big deal when the sun doesn't shine and the wind won't blow. I think everyone is, uh, is uh, cognizant of the change in the growth of renewables. Renewables uh, have really taken off in the last few years. And uh, there is an assessment, I think, globally about uh, the balance between uh, natural gas uh, and renewables coming. The only other... LNG project in BC is at the old wood fiber mill near Squamish. They've signed up British Petroleum for another contract for the output of the from the facility but until they make a final investment decision no shovels are going into the ground. That decision is expected in the fall. Ted Chernacki Global News. Residents of the West Bench area near Penticton are warned to be bear aware after a number of close encounters. At least two problem bears have been roaming the neighborhood and on Monday went into a chicken coop and destroyed 25 birds. The B.C. Conservation Officer Service is urging residents to report all bear activity so that it can be tracked and says calling the CO service is not necessarily a death sentence for bears. I want to see the bear go back over the hill there and live its life happily ever after. 
but unfortunately enough people leave their garbages out then they start to rely on people's garbage as a food source because it's probably a heck of a lot better than what they're eating out in the forest. Some of the complainants up in the area are, are, are working with us. Uh, they're, they're buying into the program of you know securing their chickens, securing their attractants. So right now we're, we're closely monitoring the situation, you know, making sure that the public safety is priority as, as well as the bear's safety. Conservation officers say at this point there are no plans to destroy the West Bench bears and they are monitoring the situation closely. In health, ma uh, health Matters tonight, UBC is launching a COVID-19 vaccine registry for pregnant and breastfeeding Canadians. Researchers will collect real-time data on the impact of immunization on expectant mothers and breastfeeding individuals across the country. As the vaccine rollout ramps up, the risks and benefits of inoculation for those who are pregnant and breastfeeding remain largely unknown since initial vaccine trials didn't include those populations. The UBC research project is an effort to fill that knowledge gap. Well, we believe these vaccines to be entirely safe and effective in pregnancy, but we need to document that and we need to do it very carefully in many, many women in many circumstances across the country. I, I hope we get uh, a lot of really reassuring data on the vaccine safety and effectiveness and some really valuable information on uh, what, what influences um, a pregnant person's decisions around uh, taking a vaccine or not. People who are currently pregnant or breastfeeding can register online to take part. The vaccine study is being funded by the Public Health Agency of Canada in partnership with national vaccine surveillance efforts. Coming up, a picture-perfect response to the pandemic. We needed to get down to a skeletal crew to keep the lights on. How a travel-focused photography business bounced back with everyone staying home. And coming up in sports after a season to forget, questions about the future of Canucks coach Travis Green. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. An off-duty Penticton fire captain and a good Samaritan are being recognized by the BC Life Saving Society for their heroism. Global's Shelby Tom explains how they were both in the right place at the right time last summer to save the life of a toddler drowning in Okanagan Lake. It was a sun-drenched summer afternoon in June at Manitou Park in Naramata when near tragedy struck. Me and my sister were going down the slide. And then there was this little baby and he had, it kind of looked like he was snorkeling, but he didn't have like a snorkel or anything. And to no life jacket, the 18-month-old baby boy was floating lifeless in the water. Kennedy screamed for her mom to help. I went running as fast as I could out to, to this child that, and then he was floating like, like this so with his hands and arms out, face down, like completely, just right at the top of the water. And uh, I grabbed him and he was so heavy, like, like waterlogged. Megan handed the, the child to another man and he handed that child to me right about here. An off-duty uh, firefighter also enjoying the beach with his family spotted the commotion and rushed to the child's aid. Chad Taylor had just refreshed his infant toddler CPR training in the right place at the right time. He had no pulse and he wasn't breathing and he was in cardiac arrest from a possible drowning. 
And so we, uh, I assessed them and I started uh, our CPR protocols. The child eventually regained consciousness. His family was nearby, but seemingly unaware the boy had wandered off. He did make a full recovery. The pair are two of 15 British Columbians recognized this year by the BCN Yukon Life Saving Society with Bravery Awards. We were extremely humbled and honored to receive that award. Professional firefighters are always on duty in their in their communities, ready to, to help their neighbor at a moment's notice. And, and um, honestly, I'm, I'm very humbled that uh, to be recognized. And with another summer season on the horizon, Taylor hopes a near-death experience serves as a stark reminder of the dangers lurking at the water's edge. Shelby Tom, Global News. Lots of people wanting to spend more time outside. I mean, it looks like you'd want to get outside right now, Christy, but wasn't the case earlier today. No, it certainly wasn't, Sophie. And we've had pretty much everything across the province today. Those of you in the Caribbean woke up to snow. We've had this beautiful sunshine and thunderstorms. In fact, about two hours ago here in North Van, it was coming down. Here's a look at the region right now. We've got a number of thunderstorms in through the Mission and Abbotsford area. Great photos showing that. And you can certainly see the lightning strikes. And across southern Vancouver Island as well, some lightning strikes from earlier today. So a lot of action today. And although these aren't severe thunderstorms, they can can do damage. Yes, I'm so sorry, Shirley, about your hostas there. I love hostas, so that is tragic. Now, we do have snow still in the forecast for the Kootenai Pass overnight. We have rainfall in the forecast for tomorrow morning across southern BC, and tomorrow afternoon we have instability again. So, thunderstorms are possible from Kelowna west all the way through the Fraser Valley, so that includes the mountain regions for Metro Vancouver northeastern sections as well, but most areas will see sunshine. Yes, beautiful conditions right Right across the province. There's the rainfall for southern BC with the risk of thunderstorms from Merritt right into Squamish, Whistler and through the Fraser Valley. So keep your eye on the sky not only this evening but again tomorrow afternoon and evening and otherwise you can enjoy the sunshine and those of you in the Caribou no more snow in the forecast for you. Here's your car- your center windows weather window for tonight. That was from Monday night. I just got this photo today so I thought I would show you. Thank you Henry Tom for that great shot. Back to you guys. That is a great photo. Wow, yeah. I mean, you certainly heard it. And is that ever spectacular mm-hmm. captured in a frame there? I sure cool. thought my building was going to be hit on Monday night. <laughs> yeah, our house shook. All right, thanks, Christy. Uh, one in several million sea creature has, been, has, has now found a home at the Shaw Centre for the Salish Sea in Sydney. That's right. Take a look. It's a white Dungeness crab nicknamed Walter. It was pulled from the water off the coast of Souk. Its claws and legs are completely white, while its body is cream-colored. Researchers believe the animal's partial pigmentation is due to a, uh, a, a condition called leucism, a rare genetic mutation that occurs in many animal species. I have heard reports that other crabbers have pulled up um, the occasional dungeness with unusual pigmentation so um one of them actually had a half was half white half normal colored but as for all white i don't believe it's been reported in canada before it has been reported in uh oregon and they the aquarium there estimates it's between one in one million and one in six million uh chance of it happening of, of this leucism uh, mutation happening so it's very very rare that is amazing If you do visit the center, you can see Walter now if he hasn't buried himself in the sand. 
Hungry. I feel bad for that clam. No kidding. <laughs> well, he was trying to eat his meal, too, and you see the other fish was right underneath him. This came, this came right underneath there. I like his name, Walter. Walter. It's uh, a good crab name. <laughs> all right, it's all over. Well, the playing part well, is Well, anyway. yeah, the playing part's over, but now it really gets interesting. So the question, of course, everybody is asking was today the last game Travis Green is going to coach for the Vancouver Canucks. He wasn't about to speculate on his future after losing 6-2 to Calgary. I don't think there's anything else I, I want to say right now at this point, to be honest. It's, and we'll see what happens. We should know tomorrow or Friday if the Canucks will give Green and his assistants new contracts or bring in a new coach for next season. Also tonight, BC's flytographer finds a way to survive flipping travel photography on its head. All right, Squires here with sports. Remember back earlier this season when we said that the Canucks were so much better than Ottawa, it was going to be nice to play them? <laughs> well, it was for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, of all the things, of all the things the Canucks did this year, the fact they finished below Ottawa is remarkable. But they did. Vancouver finished dead last in the north. But the uh, Sens did get better, actually, as the season went along. Their young players improved. Uh, the Canucks briefly improved in March when Demko got hot. That was after Elias Pettersson got hurt. But then the COVID outbreak happened, and you knew that was pretty much lights out. But the playoffs for the Canucks really were lost when they were a healthy team in the first two months of the season. I know they had a tough schedule, but they got way too far behind the pack, and that is why they are not in the postseason. Today was their final game of the regular season and it was uh, in Calgary and the Flames played the win in the first period and the Canucks just played to get out of there Matthew Kachuk makes it 1-0 uh, then Dylan Dubé makes it 2-0 Braden Holby was in goal as you can see didn't get a lot of help from his teammates Andrew uh, Mangiapane before the end of the first period is going to score as well nobody really checking him 3-0 at that point uh, second period now, Brett Ritchie. Yep, no one really wants to block that. But then again, what's the point now, Nate Schmidt, I guess? 4 nothing. Canucks in the power play. Bo Horvat scores. That's a nice passing from Brock Besser. Besser had a nice season. He played very well this year, especially after Pedersen got hurt. This shot here is deflected in by JT Miller. That made it 4-2. Canucks scoring two goals in just under a minute. But uh, then it was 5-2, and then Connor Mackey got his first ever NHL goal. And 6-2 was the final as the Flames win the last game of the regular season. Okay, so now it gets interesting. Who stays, who goes in the management and coaching staffs? Does anybody at all get moved out? Indications right now have Jim Benning staying on as general manager. The Sedin twins having some sort of role with the team. But the entire coaching staff is unknown. The Canucks let head coach Travis Green 
run out his contract this year. Clearly, ownership was not convinced about Travis Green despite the playoff success he had last summer in the bubble. But some of his players hope that Travis Green and all of his assistant coaches do get the comeback. You know, with the young guys, you know, Brock comes in, he, he has a great year, and P comes in and has a great year, and then I came in, and Hogg is having a really good year this year, and I think that's a result of, um, you know, Greener and Bomber. You know, I, I know that every coach that we have has a lot of respect from our players, and, um, you know, we all wish they can be back. But other than that, that's all I can really say. Um, they gave me every opportunity in the world, so I, uh, you know, I'm super thankful for that. You know, as a coach, you, you're... You know, it's a, it's it's a fine line between towing between players liking a coach and not liking them and getting the most out of them and um, being on on the right side of that line all the time gets a little tricky but when you hear it out of your players it it's a it's what you want to hear okay so this is Travis Green's regular seasons with the Canucks four of them so his win percentage 488. And if you look at those four regular seasons, the Canucks were 27th in the NHL. I know he had the good playoff last year, but his regular seasons leave something to be desired. Uh, if you want to go back, Willie DeJordans, who coached less games and had one very good season to start, he was just under 500, I think, 497. And, of course, he lost his job after three years. Okay, with the regular season over, the Canucks now know their position for the draft lottery on June 2nd. The Canucks have never won one of these things. They usually go in reverse and pick further down the list. Uh, the Canucks finished with the eighth worst overall record this year, but you have to now count in the Seattle Kraken, so that bumps them down to ninth on the draft lottery list. Here is the top nine, well, I guess the bottom nine teams' chances of winning the draft lottery. Buffalo has the best chance. There you see Vancouver at 5.4%. I should say I, no Western-based team has won the draft lottery since 2015 when the Oilers won it and they got Connor McDavid. Speaking of which, there he is right there. Uh, game one against the Winnipeg Jets tonight. The uh, Oilers have won seven of nine against the Jets this year, but the Jets actually were the better team in the first period, at least at last check. Nice save there by Mike Smith, who's going to have to be strong in the playoffs, like any goalie. Stopping Mark Shifley there, that made it, uh, well, kept it 0-0 in the first period. I wanted to show you this from last night. So this is Spencer Turnbull getting a no-hitter against the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners have now had two no-hitters against them already this year. Turnbull actually led the uh, majors in losses two years ago, and he also had COVID earlier this year, but still throws a no-hitter. There have been five no-hitters already this season. That ties the record for most to this point of a major league season. There you go. All right, Squire, thanks very much. Travel photographers finding new ways to capture memorable moments during the pandemic. That's up next. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at pacificbluecross.ca. Victoria-based flytographer started as a way to link travelers with professional photographers to capture magical moments at destinations all over the world. But when COVID hit and vacation travel stopped, the company had to come up with new ways to stay profitable. Kylie Stanton shows us a snapshot of what worked. 
We've done over 35,000 shoots. Yeah, maybe 40,000 now, actually. That's more than 3 million photos captured in 350 cities on six different continents around the globe. Photographer really was used by everyone from millennials to grandparents. So basically people that um, want to capture meaningful memories together when they're on a trip. The Victoria-based company that was started back in 2013 connects tourists with local photographers. The result? Professional-grade snapshots capturing frame-worthy memories. They want to put it up on their wall so that they can go back to Bali or London or um, New York. The idea had taken off, but when the pandemic hit and all travel was grounded... Uh, it was just like we were kneecapped completely. Booking stopped, refunds were requested, while three-quarters of the 22-person team were laid off. And um, I knew I had to act fast. The only way forward was to diversify. Hey everyone, my name is Kimon. I'm a photographer here in Santorini. First, they tapped the photographers on their roster, known for their technical skills and personalities, to teach online classes. I'm here to show you the best tips and tricks on how to use your iPhone camera. So we also launched um, a line of crewnecks. Then um, came the online store, featuring travel-themed merchandise from shirts to candles, even masks. Get ready for your first plane trip post-COVID. Soon, the company began introducing the modern headshot and finally turned their attention to the domestic traveler. Everyone was, was at home, but it didn't mean that they didn't want to stop, you know, capturing memories. So this is us in Genoa. Tammy Lechner has been a longtime customer. We were, I think, among some of the first shoots. But her latest session on a beach close to home has become a surprising favorite. I highly recommend it. The moments around your home are really where you live. So those memories are just as worthy of a capture as a travel memory. A year into the pandemic, the hard work started paying off. We started to see recovery in March. Now, looking back, it's all been a blessing, making the business that much stronger for when it can finally put the fly back in Flytographer. I think we're all really excited about kind of Flytographer 2.0 and what's ahead. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Anybody else wistful for travel after Hi. seeing that? Yes. Oh. Beautiful photos. Remember planes? I <laughs> <laughs> remember souvenirs and... Travel now is going to New West. <laughs> That's no, right. No kidding. Yeah. Going That's to New right. West. All right, last word on weather before we go. Christy? Sure. So uh, blue sky expected once again tomorrow, a terrific day. But don't forget, keep your eye on the sky with the risk of thunderstorms again. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night, all.